As we dive into the book of Acts, uh, a, f- a few months ago, if you guys remember, we spent four weeks uh, taking what I call a scenic route, sort of like a mini-series, a little break from Acts. Um, sometimes what happens when we go through a particular uh, book in the Bible, like we're going through in Acts, uh, you, you run across a topic that kind of needs a little bit more attention, maybe than what those few verses say. So uh, what I say is we kind of get off the interstate of the book of Acts and we kind of take a little scenic route. And that's what we did. We took four weeks looking at the conscience because the conscience is a, a big issue in the book of Acts. It's a really big issue in our culture today. Uh, so we spent that four weeks looking at that. And today that issue of the conscience comes up once again. So we're gonna look at that a little bit today as well as next week, because it comes up in a very powerful and very important way. Throughout the entirety of church history, there has always been a common sentiment, whether it's among a full denomination or in our own hearts, that in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, in order to be born again, in order to go to heaven, you have to abide by certain rules. You have to live up to certain expectations. You have to do certain things. And today we're going to see a group of Jews who had become Christians, and they're going to come up to Antioch from Jerusalem. They're going to go to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are. Paul and Barnabas are shepherding this church of mixed backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, pagans, this whole melting pot of a church. And these Jews are going to come up and they're going to correct Paul and Barnabas's incomplete teaching. They're going to correct their theology. These are Jews that had truly become Christians, They become Christians, and they're going to come up and let everyone know that in order to truly actually be saved and accepted into the family of God, they can't just believe in Jesus. That's not enough. They have to obey the Jewish law as well, and particularly they're going to focus on the practice of circumcision. And then this sparks quite a debate, one that doesn't end here in Antioch, but what happens is Paul and Barnabas and some others travel down to Jerusalem to meet with all the other apostles say, hey, this thing's going on. Some guys from your camp in Jerusalem came up and they're saying this. We don't really know what to say. We, we feel like we know what we need to say, but we're not totally sure, so let's talk about this. So it becomes a very big deal. And it's actually gonna become a, a really beautiful picture of church unity, of submission to one another, of, of trusting one another. of of even how to have healthy dialogue and walking in harmony amidst difficult and dividing topics. We could have used this in 2020. And actually, we we actually did look at this in 2020 and a bunch of other scriptures multiple times. But the problem with us as humans is this desire to add to the gospel, the desire for us to have our personal opinions our personal convictions to become gospel for everyone else and to insist on our version of Christianity, that's as old as the gospel itself. That's just as old of a religion as the gospel. Gospel plus. We've been doing it for thousands of years. So we need, as a church, as individuals, as families, as married couples, as friends, as as kids, as students, We need to be so convinced of the truth that Jesus Christ alone is enough for our salvation, our acceptance by God. We have to be so convinced of that because there will always endlessly be countless other beliefs from both society and culture that are going to be preached to us, as well as beliefs that come from our own hearts, whether it's because of 
the guilt we live in. We need to feel like we have to pay God back or, or maybe your upbringing, whatever it is, there's going to be countless, endless other theologies that are going to be bombarding your mind and your heart. We have to be convinced that Christ alone is enough for us. We must be convinced of that, that the cross is the saving power of God. So I want to pray, and we're going to jump into Acts chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to ask the Lord just to lead us and guide us. The Holy Spirit would lead us into truth. We need our hearts to be transformed. We need our minds to be conformed in the image of Christ. We need to be convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that work for us today. Father in heaven, we, uh, we come to you just, just as, as kids. Even as Pastor Tyler was sharing, just, you know, even, even if we've known you for 20 years, 30 years, we're just still kids. Compared to you, our Father, your wisdom, your omniscience, your wisdom, uh, we, we, we know nothing. We're just uh, trying to look to you, trying to grasp after you, trying to be more like you, be like your son. But we fumble, we, uh, our own opinions, our own um, self-centeredness gets in the way, our pride, uh, our preferences, our egos, our self-righteousness, we just, we get in the way. And so Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would do as you promised to do, that you would lead us into truth today as we open your word that your word would be alive and active in our hearts, exposing in our minds and hearts areas where we've fallen into some legalism or some self-righteousness, performanceism, just being driven by shame or condemnation or guilt, and not truly resting in the finished work of the cross. So help us, Holy Spirit, to be convinced that the love that the Father has given us through Jesus is enough for us to be fulfilled and satisfied, to be accepted into the family of God. So help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, saying, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, so they got in a big old argument here. So Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they're going to all the other apostles at kind of home camp in Jerusalem. So being sent on their way by the church, so the church of Antioch says, yep, you guys go on our behalf, let's go figure this out. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and that brought great joy to all the brothers. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, now keep in mind, these are believers here. These are Jewish believers that have become Christians. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, which, I mean, think about how radical this is already. Some Pharisees became believers in Jesus Christ. So this, this is awesome. Right? We shouldn't see these guys really as bad guys. These aren't like the, the other Jews that were persecuting and trying to kill the Christians and imprison them. These are Pharisees who become believers in Jesus Christ. So these are brothers. They're just, they're just misguided. 
Okay, so, so there's, that's a, a different element that we're, we're dealing with than what we've seen in the past in Acts. So some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, circumcise the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So in other words, they're saying, yes, we do believe in Jesus too, but in order for them to be right before God, there's still more that they have to do. Now, in this time and in Judaism, circumcision was the primary way that one would outwardly show that they were committed to the Lord of Israel and accepted into the family of God, into the commonwealth of Israel. It was proof of, of a real, truly committed believer. To not be circumcised was unacceptable. It was this huge, huge deal. It was scandalous even to not be circumcised if you were a professing Jew. So these guys called Judaizers, self-righteous Judaizers, they were imposing this practice now on all these new Gentile converts. They didn't grow up as Jews, anything like that, but they say, hey, if they're gonna be accepted into this family, they have to be like us. They have to do what we do. So in verse six, it says, the apostles and the elders, they were gathered together to consider the matter. Okay, let's talk about this. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and here's what he said to them. And keep in mind, Peter was also a Judaizer just a couple chapters ago, right? He's like, I'm, never, I'm not gonna eat unclean meat. So, so he's come out of this as a Jew. So he understands. He also understands that these guys, they're, they're not the Jews that were persecuting him. These are Pharisees that have been saved, but because of their background, because of their history, these, these new Christians, because of their upbringing, they have very specifically molded preferences they have passionate beliefs. They have passionate convictions, specific and strongly held convictions that were good things based on Scripture even. Right, so these Pharisees, they're going, look, we just, we just want these guys to be circumcised like us and obey the law of Moses. What's the big deal? That's not a bad thing. And keep in mind also, this is centuries of family heritage for these Jews, their way of life, something that marked their history, the pride of being part of Israel, thankfulness and gratitude of being part of this, this, this special people group called Israel. So this would have been so very hard for them to really give up these traditions. This is no easy task. Like, oh, cool, we don't have to do this anymore. Right on. Like, this, this is so entrenched in their history. This is what God used to mark a persecuted people for thousands of years. So to give this up is not easy. So given that these convictions also were based on God's word, and now, no doubt these Pharisees, they had good intentions. And now they want to put their beliefs and their good intention convictions upon others. So here's what Peter says. Peter being someone who, who comes from that same mindset. He says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, me, Peter, of all people, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, he bore witness to these Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us Jews. And he made, God made no distinction, right? The Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. They, were, they would call them dogs. But now Peter's saying, but I, I realize God makes no distinction between our people and them. In God's eyes, we're all sinners in need of a savior. He's made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. 
So now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, these Gentile disciples, that neither our fathers nor we've been able to bear? He's saying, what's the point of having them try to obey the Jewish law and having them be circumcised? We Jews couldn't even fulfill the law. And we were raised in it. This is our family heritage. We can't even do it. That's why we need a savior. So what's the point of making them live up to these expectations that we can't even live up to? It's impossible. We know it's impossible. That's why we believe in Jesus. So what are we doing here? Now, I realize many of us probably didn't grow up Jewish with circumcision being a central piece of faith. So this might be a little hard to connect. You know, like, what does this have to do with me today? But this is not just about circumcision. For our context today in this world we live in, you can, you can really probably replace that word with so many other things because there are many Christian cultural traditions in which you probably did grow up learning, believing, something you were taught, some kind of action or maybe a sacrament or an expectation or a, a work of obedience or some level of morality or some way you're supposed to speak or dress or act or whatever it is, some expectation that was put on you maybe as a child, maybe in college, whatever, it was put on you for you to, to really be truly accepted by God and accepted by your church family. You, you maybe were brought up believing that, yes, Jesus died for you, but for you to be really accepted by him and be really in right standing before him, you have to also abide by other certain expectations, whether it was from your parents or from a church you grew up in, or, or maybe it's just your own guilt, the shame from things you've done in the past and you feel like you're just constantly trying to win God's love, win God's affection, win his acceptance. You're just trying to pay him back for something you did. Maybe you feel you have to live up to something or live up to the people around you. You have to live up to the image of what a Christian is or earn God's true acceptance. So we might not be Jews by our heritage, but we are like the Jews, we're products of our culture, of our upbringing. All of us are influenced by our backgrounds, our views, our values, our families, our politics, and all that is not necessarily bad. Those could be very good things, very, very good things, even biblical things. But even good things and even good intentions can easily distort the gospel. So we have to keep these things in the proper lane because good things, even biblical things, biblical convictions can distort the gospel when they're out of place. And that's what we have to be careful of. Well-intentioned, biblically driven convictions can be used as a yoke of slavery and distort the gospel in your own life, in your heart, and then you start putting it on other people. Picture just a... a filling up a, a huge backpack with bricks and rocks and weights, expectations, living up to this, doing that. And then you put that backpack on and you just gotta go through your Christian life wearing that thing. This is why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke, drop that thing. I did it all for you. Drop that backpack. It is finished. It is finished. I have a lot of deeply held convictions. Uh, I'm very introspective. Uh, I'm a very, um, I mean, to a definite fault, a very deep thinker. 
Um, it's, I've always said it's probably one of my greatest strengths, but it's definitely one of my greatest weaknesses. Um, I hold my personal beliefs and my choices, my preferences very strongly. I'm very convinced of them. And they're not bad. At least I don't think they're bad. I think they're great. <laughs> but I know a lot of believers who don't share those same convictions as I do. And that's okay. Now, in my mind, my judgmental mind, I don't think it's okay. <laughs> that's the problem. That's the problem. I can have my deeply held convictions that I'm convinced this is how I'm going to live to honor the Lord. And I can even believe that this is how people should live. <laughs> but I have to be careful to keep that in the right lane and not put that on other people when God has not even put that on other people. They're my preferences. They're my opinions. I don't want to cross a line that I am not supposed to cross. I am not God. I am not the Holy Spirit. My job is not to convict other people. I can be an example. I can give wise counsel. I can give my opinion. I can get in a good dialogue just like these guys are doing, going down to Jerusalem saying, hey, what are we going to do? Let's talk about this. We can now do all those things. But for me to impose my convictions, my opinions, and expect others to live up to that, that is wrong. It's wrong. I can't do that. I am not God. So if I do that, or if I even just judge people in my heart who don't see things my way, then I've crossed the line. I, I'm, it, that, that is above my pay grade, church. It's above your pay grade too. Right? That is not our job. I have to stay in my lane with my convictions. Biblical truth, hit up the middle all day long. Objective things, you're good, but your convictions have to stay in those outer lanes, right? You hold them close, hold them tight, live by them, be convinced by them, but don't put that yoke of slavery upon other people. Now, in our culture, our, our Western 21st century American Christianity subculture, we have, we have a lot of conditioning that we've come to expect from other Christians, there's a number of things, but you know, we might think, well, all, all true Christians certainly must vote Republican. And they must vote a certain way that's exactly how I would vote on those very complicated issues because clearly I have the simple answer. I know the truth. And if people don't believe what I believe, then they're clearly wrong. And we think that, we do that. Or truly committed Christians, they would surely homeschool their kids. They really care about their kids. Or real Christians wouldn't support certain businesses. They wouldn't subscribe to Netflix or Disney or watch the NFL or shop at Target or do those things. If they were real Christians, they wouldn't, they wouldn't celebrate Halloween. Now, keep in mind here, if you have convictions about homeschooling, about how you vote, about what you subscribe to, where you shop, by all means, that's fantastic. And live by those convictions. Do as the Lord is leading you to do, but then once you start putting that yoke on other people, when the word is not clear on whether or not you should watch the NFL or not, all of a sudden you're getting out of your lane. Does that make sense? Right, so live, believe and trust that God is leading you in conviction. If you feel like, I don't wanna support that thing, then don't support that thing. But don't expect everyone else to do the same thing. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. Hit up the middle all day long with biblical objective truth. Hold your convictions tightly, but then to put that yoke of slavery on others and then judge them if they don't see things the way that you do, that's a no-no. That's a 
But feel free, church, to hold your convictions deeply and passionately. Feel free to do that. Enjoy that freedom that you have to have these convictions. But when we impose them, and I'm not talking about having healthy dialogue, having good conversations. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about imposing and then judging and then expecting others to see things exactly the way that you do. In our minds, we look at other people that don't see things we do and go, oh, they just, they just don't get it. Right? We just, we're, we're condescending in our hearts. Now we're towing a scary line of being modern-day Judaizers, putting that yoke of slavery, that heavy backpack that was never intended for them. Let the Holy Spirit do his job in their life. If you feel like they're doing something wrong, again, I'm not talking about don't have a conversation, but watch your heart. Watch your heart. Don't get out of that lane. Now, Paul wrote an entire letter to the Galatians about this specific problem. I'd encourage you to read through Galatians on your own this week, but look what he says to them about circumcision specifically in Galatians chapter five, verse one. He says, for freedom, freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Why would you put all that stuff back on you? Christ died for your freedom. Look, I, Paul, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you're going to put that expectation on yourself or on others, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. What's the point of Jesus if you still got to do all the other stuff? Why did he die? Why did he die? I remember uh, years ago I was doing you know, what we call fight clubs with uh, Micah and his buddies. They were probably 12, 13, and uh, there was a kid. Um, I asked the question about uh, how do you go to heaven? And in this fight club, there was a Mormon, a Catholic, a Jew, uh, kind of a non-believer, another Christian than my son. So it was like, I mean, just a, a weird joke, right? You know, like a coach and a Mormon and a Jew walk into a bar kind of a thing. And, um, and so I asked the question, how do you get to heaven? And, you know, actually almost all the kids didn't really matter their background. But I remember specifically the Mormon kid said, well, you have to be a good person. And then um, I think it was actually Micah that said, well, but if if you have to be a good person to go to heaven, then why did Jesus die? And the kid didn't have an answer. And of course, because there is no answer. There's no answer. If you have to still be good enough, then there's no point in Jesus dying. And that's exactly what Paul says here. Christ will be of no advantage to you if you still feel like you have to do all the stuff. So I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision as a thing you gotta do, that he is obligated to then keep the whole law. You're gonna follow one rule, you gotta follow all of them. You can't pick and choose and cherry pick the law. So you're gonna do one, might as well just do it all. So he's saying if you're gonna obey the circumcision law, you gotta do the whole thing. So where does it stop? Where, when is it gonna be enough? What's the point of trusting in Jesus if you're gonna follow the law as a way to truly be accepted by God? You're misunderstanding the gospel. In verse four, he says, you are severed from Christ. There's no real existential connection to Jesus. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. If you're justified by the law, you're, you're disconnected from Jesus. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's of no value. Something that was biblically commanded at one point, circumcision, the law of Moses, it is of no value any longer. 
but only faith working through love. When it comes to your righteousness before God, you have to understand that you, God sees you as righteous right now as he's gonna see you when you're in heaven. I know you don't feel that way, but the way he sees you right now, you are in perfect right standing before God if you are born again, if you've been adopted by him. And I know you don't feel that way, but you have to start believing that. You start believing that, your, your heart transforms, your mind is conformed to the image of Christ. You start acting and thinking and desiring differently, but we have to start with what we actually believe in our conviction, in the depths of our hearts, and stop believing all these lies, this condemnation, this legalism, self-righteousness. We gotta put that stuff away. Otherwise, we're gonna be walking around, hunkered down this backpack like slaves. Guilt is a slave driver, church. Guilt is a slave driver. Condemnation is a slave driver. That is not the love of God. We need to be free from the condemnation and the shame that we're still bearing, this performancism. We take off the yoke of slavery and we put on the yoke of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to your righteousness, him accepting you and loving you, him commending you and approving of you, He's saying, you know, for us today, whether you shop at Target or not, doesn't count for anything. Doesn't make you closer to God if you boycott or if you shop there, right? If you subscribe to Netflix or not, doesn't count for anything. If you choose to watch the NFL or Major League Baseball, whatever, doesn't count for anything. Doesn't make you any closer to God. Now, none of these count as helping you become more holy or accepted or more loved by God. And listen, listen here, circumcision was the biggest cultural issue in this day that drew the line in the sand between true believers, really committed believers, and fake believers. It was a much bigger issue than Disney or the NFL or whatever that we deal with today. And Paul says, even that circumcision counts for nothing. Nothing. That was the number one biggest deal that divided between true believers and fake phony believers. And he says it counts for nothing, nothing. Now, what I'm not saying is that your choice on where you choose to shop or what you choose to watch, I'm not saying that there's no ramification in your life. I'm not saying that there's, there's nothing significant about those things. The decisions you make, what you choose to support, not support, whatever, they have significance. But it's a different topic than what we're talking about today. And we're going to talk about that next week. So, a little cliffhanger. So I'm not saying that these choices you make are insignificant. I'm not saying that they're not important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have convictions over these things. But what I'm saying is it doesn't make you any closer to Jesus. It doesn't make you any more loved by God. It doesn't make you more accepted by God. They count for nothing. They count for nothing. And we, so then therefore we cannot put those expectations on other people because then we're just putting a yoke of slavery upon them. So again, we can have good, healthy dialogue. Again, next week, we'll be looking at that, how to have dialogue when we have differences, those types of things, and what, these, what significance these, these choices do make in our lives. There's a lot of fascinating stuff, even that's to do with circumcision next week as far as choosing to or not to, whatever, but that's next week. It's a different topic than what we're looking at today. So if you, being a true Christian, accepted by God, if that comes from Jesus plus anything else, you need Jesus plus anything else to really feel accepted and just feel loved by God. If it's Jesus plus anything else, it's wrong. It's from the pit of hell, to be honest. It's wrong. It's a distortion of the gospel. Look how Paul opens his letter to the Galatians. He goes, 
I'm astonished, I'm shocked, church, that you're so quickly deserting him, Jesus. You're deserting Jesus who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different gospel. And then he clarifies, he goes, not that there actually is another gospel, because there's not, there's only one, but there are some people out there, and that, this could be your own self, your own heart, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But he says, listen, if we, the apostles, or even an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, which is Jesus alone is enough, then let that preacher be accursed. Let him be accursed. So this is where you have to start speaking your own heart and flesh and say, you gotta knock it off. Curse you flesh. Curse you condemnation. Get behind me, Satan. I am accepted by Jesus Christ. I only need him for my righteousness. Shame and condemnation has no place in my life. We have to start believing this. He says, as we've said before, and I'm gonna say it again, Paul says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Spurgeon said, the greatest enemy to the human soul is self-righteousness that makes men look to themselves for salvation. That is the greatest enemy to your soul when you start looking at your own self and your performances and how good you can be so God will love you more. C.S. Lewis, he wrote in his book, Screwtape Letters, which some of you guys may have read, it's a fictional account about the strategy that demons have uh, as far as how they can draw people away from Christ. And he wrote that the, the demons, they, they discuss a strategy that their goal isn't uh, to convince Christians that, that Jesus is not the way. Demons are smarter than that. They know that they're not gonna draw true believers away from Jesus and convince them that Jesus isn't the way. So, so that's not their strategy. Demons are going, all right, we know we can't fool them and sell them that Jesus isn't the way. So here's what our strategy will be. Their strategy is to convince Christians that their faith and their salvation and their right standing before God and God's acceptance of them is dependent on Jesus and something else. So it's almost like, you know, it's a fictional account, of course, but if it's like the demons are saying, look, we're not gonna take Jesus away from them. We know we can't. Let's just add some more stuff to Jesus. Then that's what will really distract them and distort the gospel. It's genius, isn't it? Right, you're not gonna convince me that Jesus isn't my savior. Oh, but I'll start trusting in Jesus and a lot of other things, no problem. My flesh loves that. My self-righteousness, my pride, my ego loves that. If you're accepted and righteous for him through Jesus and also how well you obey the law or how good of a person you are, having certain views in life, whether it's political or sociological or whatever, choosing not to celebrate certain holidays or where you shop or what you do, if your righteousness depends on Jesus plus those things, it's a distortion of the gospel. Many of us, I, I would say actually probably all of us are enslaved to a yoke of slavery, at least in some areas of our life. The rules that we put upon ourselves. I, I, I'm, very, I'm a perfectionist, uh, so I, I beat myself up a lot. Um, I have high standards for myself and it just... I put these things on me. And when I fail in those things, uh, my heart condemns me. I impose these things upon me and, and I know I can impose those things upon others. Christianity and Jesus plus. 
And if you accept that, there's no point for Jesus in your life. There's no point. The, you've, you've emptied the cross of its power. And Paul is so forceful about this, going back to Galatians 5, speaking about this, this false gospel of, of adding works. He says in Galatians 5, verse 7, you guys were running so well. You church, Galatian church, you guys were doing awesome, following and loving Jesus, being amazed at the good news of what he'd done. You were doing so well. So who came in and tripped you up? Who hindered you from obeying the truth that Jesus is enough? Who, who, who did this? Who fooled you? Who, what's his name? Where'd he come from? This persuasion, this, this opinion about this Jesus plus, gospel plus, this is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So a little legalism ruins the whole thing. A little bit ruins the whole thing. I have confidence, Paul says, in the Lord that you will take no other view other than the one that we first preached to you, that Jesus is enough. And the one, the guy who's troubling you, preaching this other gospel, he will bear the penalty, whoever he is. If you need just one more rule plus Jesus, if you need to do anything else in your life to really believe that you're accepted by Jesus, just one more thing, then Christ died for no purpose. No purpose. His blood has been emptied of its power. The cross is worthless. It's been removed. You don't need Jesus at all. And then so Paul, he goes on and he says this somewhat comically, kind of shockingly. He says in verse 12, I wish that those, those guys who are preaching that message of circumcision, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, castrate themselves. That's pretty bold to say. He's saying, look, look, if they're so convinced that circumcision makes them acceptable, I wish they would put their money where their mouth is and just cut the whole thing off. That's not my words, those are his. That's what he's saying. He said, if, if cutting a little bit off makes you holy, just cut the whole thing off, then you're super holy. He's saying, where does it stop? Why stop there? You gotta keep going, I mean, this is what he said. So, so think now about your own life, church. Think about your own life. How far is far enough? How much do you have to do to finally believe that Jesus Christ loves you and God the Father accepts you, calls you his beloved son, his beloved daughter, will never leave you or forsake you? How, what is it, what's it gonna take for you to actually believe that God likes you? He enjoys you. What, what is it going to take? What more do you have to do? Is, is Jesus enough for us? Is Jesus enough for you? Tyler? Dave? Karen? Do you believe, church, do you believe that Jesus, Barbara, is, is Jesus enough for you? Yeah? More than enough. Tim? More than enough. Church? Billy, is he enough for you? I know he's enough for Billy. I know he's enough for Karen. <laughs> he's enough for all of you. All of you. He's enough. Take that, that yoke off of yourself. How good do you have to be until you're finally convinced that he completely accepts you and has done everything?
Jesus either finished the job of saving you or he didn't, period. He either finished the job or he didn't. If you feel like you're finishing the job for him, you're wrong, you're wrong. We need to repent of that and condemn our own hearts and saying, heart, you are accursed. That is a different gospel. Peter also believes that Jesus finished the job. I'll finish up this little section and we'll, uh, we'll close up. Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, the Gentiles, will. And all the assembly fell silent. They were just dumbfounded. They're going, Peter, the Judaizer, he's saying that the Gentiles don't need to do this stuff. They fell silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul as, as they related the signs and wonders that God did among them for the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, then James replied. Now, now, probably the more legalistic guys, the Pharisees are like, all right, cool, James is gonna talk. This is like the big, he's big on works. This, this guy, you know, he's one of us. He loves good works. So I think he's gonna side with us. But look what James says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. He quotes the Old Testament, says, after this, I will return. I'll rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I'll restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, James says, my judgment, Pharisees are sitting on the edge of the seat, all right, here we go. My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We're not gonna put any extra expectations on them. The Jerusalem church and their church leaders decide together that it is unnecessary for the Gentiles, and probably 99% of us are Gentiles here, <laughs> to have to fulfill Jewish law to be acceptable by God, and neither do the Jews. They declare that Jesus is enough. The law has been fulfilled in Christ, and our right standing comes from him alone. Church, God's love is not conditioned on your spiritual fruitfulness. God's love is based on Jesus's spiritual fruitfulness. His love for you is based on Christ, not on you. 100%. So if God accepts Christ, he accepts you. And God's people can never, by any possibility, be punished for our sins ever again because Jesus has already been punished for our sins, because we've been adopted, because we've been born again, because he calls us his sons and his daughters. And our big brother took the punishment for his brothers and sisters. So we can't be punished for our sins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So next week, we're gonna be looking at the, the follow-up. There's, if you read ahead a little bit, you're gonna see that James, uh, he's, he says, let's write a letter back to Antioch. Uh, it's got some interesting, intriguing things. You're going, oh, what was that all about? So we're gonna look at that next week. And we're gonna look a lot about, into just how do we then, as people, walk forward living among other people who maybe don't have the same freedom in Christ, the same... Um, uh, the, the same just spiritual place in God's kingdom. How do we live among other people? How do, we, how do we not project our expectations on others? But for today, we just get to rest in this good news that is, has indeed been finished.
100% has been finished for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, uh, again, I just, every time I start my prayers and I just start with that, that simple title, Father, my Father, our Father, Heavenly Father, how amazed I am that I'm your son. As I was sharing with my church family last week, just how reflecting on my own past and my own previous life, I just, I don't, I don't understand how I got here. How I am able to have that precious title of son. I have done nothing Nothing to earn or deserve that title. As a matter of fact, I've done the exact opposite, that I I should never have been awarded that title of son, and yet here I am. And it is all because of your great mercy, your, your grace that you give me. It is not of myself. It is the gift of you, my Father, who loves to give good gifts even to your enemies, of which I was one. And that very truth I pray, Father, would help me to then look at all my friends and family who don't yet know you. And I would not put my expectations upon them. I would not, I would not want to focus on the areas of life that, that are irrelevant when it pertains to the gospel and salvation. I want people to know you through my life. I want people to know your love, know your grace, that you would save people through my witness. But I, I don't want to live a self-righteous life, a legalistic life. I, there's nothing attractive about that to anybody. And so I want to live a life where I just pour over with grace and love and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, gentleness, peace, and self-control. Service, selflessness, sacrifice. So help me, Lord, help us, help us as a church family, build us as we enjoy these different times of fellowship with each other and times in our community groups. We just, we need you. We need your grace and mercy. Thank you for your patience towards us, your patience amongst our our, our foolishness, our self-righteousness, our our self-wisdom. We're grateful, God, that you are so long-suffering with us. We give thanks to you, Lord, because your good and your steadfast love endures forever. You alone do great wonders. Your steadfast love endures forever. You've made all of creation, the moon and the stars, the sun, the sky, the ocean. And Lord, your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you, God. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.